You know, sometimes pictures are worth more than words can say. Sometimes music ministers where words are insufficient. And I thought coupling those two together to start out this morning would be pretty powerful. A um, couple of things you need to be aware of. In light of its Sanctity of Life Sunday, I have the great privilege of announcing we have one more member of Church Triumphant today. Born yesterday, Shiloh Williams was born to Thomas and Bethany Williams yesterday afternoon. Seven pounds, nine ounces, 20 inches long. And she wasn't a surprise this time. When Thomas and Bethany had Garrett, they were told throughout the pregnancy he was a girl. And then he came out and he wasn't. They had all these girly, girly stuff in the the closet and in the dresser and all that stuff. And they didn't quite fit. But they were right this time. Praise the Lord. A couple things to make you aware of before we go any further. Um, And my, my, my mind is escaping me. I made a couple of announcements Sunday before the first service. Um, well, I'm at a loss. Wow. Brain freeze. I haven't any, eaten any ice cream yet. Um, men's group, Keith and Sarah Woods' house on, at 7 o'clock on Wednesday night. If you need directions and help, you can call Brian or Keith and Sarah. That, that information, you, you guys who have been going should, know how to, should find out how to get there. Um, another thing. The issue in Haiti, I forgot to say this in the first service, so you guys get some information they don't have, okay? Um, I told you last week we got, a, we got a phone call from a missionary that we support in the Dominican Republic who is working currently right now trying to help the aid things in Haiti. Um, as a church, we have committed to help them um, financially and to get what they need to get done done, getting trucks and things there. Um, they needed around $50,000 to get what they had there. They secured a compound about an hour and a half outside of um, Port-au-Prince and are working to establish uh, aid and all those sorts of life needs there. Um, when I got a call from Bill Turkovich, who's a very good friend of this ministry, has been for a lot of years about that, um, we told him we wanted to help. And so we have uh, committed ourselves to $12,000 to get to them and to make sure that that aid goes for And in the hands, we know it will be used correctly. That's the big thing to us. We want to help where we can help. We want to do what we can do, but we want to do it and not let it fall into a black hole someplace. We want it to fall into the right hands so we'll make sure the aid gets to the people who need it. Can you say amen? Well, that's where we're at, and that's what we do, and we like doing that. And there's another announcement I need to make, and for the life of me, I cannot remember what it was. Men's breakfast, who said that? Burl, that's the one I forgot. Men's breakfast is this Saturday at 9 o'clock. Jim Hedegar is actually serving in the cafe today. He'll be the tall order fellow with the, the flannel shirt on. See him if you want a ticket. It costs you $5. Um, that money also goes to missions work beyond what we caught, what costs us for the, the, the meal. And you'll get good spiritual food and good natural food, and we'll have a good time. I promise all you guys I expect to see you Saturday morning. So is that good? Are you with me? Woo! Okay. I get a little bit crazy sometimes. You're going to have to run with me, all right? We're talking about, I found, I found this. Is it okay? It looks a little bit different. Everything okay? Okay. All right. Good. I just want to make sure. We're going to talk about Sanctity of Life. We celebrate the Sanctity of Life Sunday on this day, usually this Sunday in January, because 26 years ago, Friday, 
a very well-known Supreme Court decision was handed down that brought into question when and where life starts. And so we're going to talk about that from a scriptural perspective. Our endeavor today is not to be politically correct. Our endeavor today is build a scriptural foundation for what life is, where it begins, and who's in charge of it. How you, you want to go there with me? Some of you think, dude, where is he going? Some of you may have seen a picture that was circled around several years ago. Um, there was a, a, a little hand that reached up out and grabbed hold of a doctor's finger. Have you ever seen that? Do you guys know the story behind that, behind that picture? I wish I could use it. I didn't have copyright to, to use that thing today, so I can't use the picture. Or else I would have. I'll tell you the story behind it. I, I was searching online this week, trying to find some, some illustrations and some, some, some food to hand you this morning, and ran across a message that was written by Dr. Stan Mast, and he had this illustration in his sermon, and it goes like this. Some of you have seen that incredible, incredible picture entitled The Hand of Hope. Have you guys seen it? Dr. Joseph Bruner of Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee, was performing a very delicate and risky surgery on Julie Armas. I'll let you know this. She's a, she was a medical professional. She was an RN. And she received a diagnosis for her unborn child that maybe would have caused some people to consider not to allow that baby to be born. But she heard of this procedure Dr. Bruner had, had developed and called him. And so we'll pick up the story there. She was, 20, 20, was, 20, was pregnant 21 weeks, 21 weeks pregnant to be precise, and her baby Samuel had been diagnosed with spina bifida, a hole in his spine that would leave him physically and mentally disabled. He couldn't be removed from the womb for surgery to repair the hole in his spine, but Dr. Bruner had developed a very complicated surgical procedure in which he removes the womb from the mother by C-section and makes a small incision to operate on the baby in utero. Dr. Bruner successfully completed the surgery, but before he could sew up the tiny incision, the womb began to move, though no one was touching it. In a split second, a hand, a tiny hand, a 21-week-old hand, reached up through the incision. When Dr. Bruner touched it, little Samuel, in a motion that recalls Michelangelo's creation of Adam, tightly squeezed the doctor's finger. I've seen the picture. The hand is not bigger than a tightly squeezed than a match head, but it's firmly grasping that finger. An attending nurse asked what had happened. When the photographer explained, she said, oh, the, the nurse, oh, they do that all the time. At the outer limits of life, God's hand was upon that little one. And me, and you, and all of us. Speaking of, there's some Soon-to-be proud parents sitting like the fourth row back, Michael and Andrea Notestone. I have some pretty amazing pictures. Would you like to see them? That's little baby Notestone there. Those pictures were taken on se- in September. There sh- she is, correct? There she is. There's another one. we got another one of her. Look at that. I show you that picture because these 4D things, lots of moms will come in in those decision-making processes in the pregnancy counseling centers, and once they see those kinds of pictures, abortion is an out-of-the-question option. I would have liked to have shown you a DVD Rachel and I have of our two little boys who weren't yet here yet, yet were here yet. And then moving around, they weren't nearly that good at that point in time. We didn't have access to one of those 4D things. 
during those pregnancies, but we could see the little legs kicking and things were happening. And I remember sitting in front of that screen and my heart just pounded out of my chest. And man, just wow, look what God does. Look what he's doing. And my heart just being overwhelmed. Man, God is good. Turn with me to Psalm 139. We're talking about God at the outer limits of life. God is at the outer limits of life. His life extends to the limits. Psalm 139 will tell us that God's knowledge is all-encompassing. We're going to read there starting in verse 1, and for the first segment, we'll stop at verse 12. So if you're with me, let's begin to read. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation in case you're wondering. Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart. We just heard that. You know my heart, right? And you know everything about me. Now you guys heard heard a brief instance that God did not call me to worship ministry. You know when I sit down or when I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. And he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. That's a significant statement because he references that a little bit later. We'll talk about it. You are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. And that's a mouthful about the power and the love and the care and the concern of our Father. Wow. His love is all-encompassing. His knowledge is all-encompassing. He knows all of our actions. In the Bible Knowledge Commentary, it says this. He references his samples of how well God knew David. It says the Lord, and in, 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 in that Psalm 139, it says, it keeps referring to you. And in, in the Hebrew, that you is emphatic. It's like, it's, it's like a, it's a powerful statement. You know my comings and my goings. And David's very, knew, you knew every move he made. The two opposites of sitting and rising represent all of his actions. There's a figure of speech known as a, Amer, I can't even pronounce that, Amerism? Somebody who's a, who's a language professor, tell me. God knew not only David's actions, he also knew David's motivations afar. And that evidently means not by space, but by time. His daily activities were thoroughly familiar to the Lord. The opposites of going in in the morning and lying down at night represent the whole day's activities. But one of the samples that epitomizes God's omniscience is in verse 4. Before the psalmist could frame a word on his tongue, the Lord was thoroughly familiar with what he was about to say. Wow. God, he knows our actions. He knows our locations. He knows what's on the inside of us. Even when we try to hide in the darkest of situations, he knows where we are. He knows what we are doing. And he knows who we are. We cannot hide. And for some of you sitting at this point, that may be a scary, scary thought. Maybe you've been trying to hide from him and you just can't seem to find a place. But you know what? That's good. Because he loves you. You cannot hide from him. David says these words in verse 6. 
talked about how amazing it is. It's amazing. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I was working on a computer last night trying to, trying to get some, something. To, how many of you guys have computers? How many of you guys like your computer? You guys really like your computer? I'll bet tomorrow you won't. Half of you won't. You know how computers act. They're really finicky, right? I was working on something, trying to get something to happen, and I was messing around on a computer trying to get this file to, to, to be burnt to this CD and different things, and I was trying to, trying to get some things, and I was getting really frustrated. It was supposed to be really simple, you know. Then I realized I kept trying. It, it, let me read you something. This is where I'm going. Listen. In, 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 the, in, in a book called The Wisdom Literature and the Psalms by J.E. Smith, he talks about this, and it says, God knows the spoken word which, which men can hear. He also knows the true meaning and the secret thoughts which prompt its utterance. David feels that God has hemmed him in on all sides so he cannot escape. God holds him in his grip. He exercises authority over him. Such infinite knowledge baffles human thought. It is inaccessible to man. I kept trying to put this stuff on this CD, on this DVD. Oh, and I just kept, and it, it, it kept saying it was working. Then I go and the CD's blank, and I'm like, what is going on? You know what I figured out? Neither the software nor the hardware were compatible. It was inaccessible. Okay? It kept saying that. It's inaccessible. It's in, I'm kept going, okay. You know what I mean. <laughs> Sometimes in our minds, we're trying to comprehend God is so much above us. Right now, the thought that God knows our, our thoughts before we think them. He knows our words before we utter them. Right now, your brain's going, dude, what is... What, how does he know what I'm going to say even before I form the thought to even think what I'm going to say? How does he know that? What is it going to Listen, some, that, that seems inaccessible to you maybe, but listen, he absolutely does. He knows the beginning from the end and everything in between. It should be astound us and amaze us. We should be in awe of him right now because the great thing about that, he knows all those details. He loves us anyway. And he still died for us. He sent his son, in spite of all that knowledge, understanding of who we are, how weak we are, how evil we can be sometimes. He knows, you know, I'm just glad he doesn't like throw our thoughts up on the screen sometimes like I'm doing there. Aren't you glad of that? You know, like those tickers in Times Square or something, you're walking on the street, there's this thing going across your face where everybody's looking at you and and everything you know. Oh, great, you know. He knows all of that, but he is still able to, to love us anyway, that should amaze us. And he still cares and he's still concerned. But you know what is amazing? His knowledge of us goes way, way, way beyond that. His understanding, knowledge, and care go even further than that. He, Psalm 139, let's look at verse 13. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. See, the Bible says in verse, what was that, verse 12, it says, even in darkness I can't hide from you. And here in a minute we're going to talk about how, God, how David talks about God forming him in the darkness of his mother's womb. We cannot hide. Even the smallest part of us, even the, the most delicate, intimate part of us that was formed that nobody else could, could see, God could see. Uh, wow. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex, David writes. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it 
You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. That's at the beginning of life. Now look at the next line. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. God's life extends to the limits. It extends clear to the the time of our conception, actually even before. Have you guys ever heard that statement? Before you even a glint in your father's eye. You ever heard that? It's true. It's absolutely true. We'll talk about that in a minute. Before you were even a thought, God knew you. It's crazy. His life, his love extends to the limit on one direction, and it extends to the limits on the other direction. He is the giver of life, and we have no business trying to make it or take it. Make it or take it. And I know we're getting in some creepy areas now. It weirds me out, some of the stuff we're trying these days. Cloning folks and doing things like that. Oh, my goodness. The concept of, 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 of you, know, this, you know, determining when and how people should live and all that. Oh, man, I just get scared out of my mind thinking about where that could end up. But you know what? God's in control. He's got it all under control. Psalm 71 verse 6 reads like this. Yes, you have been with me from birth. From my mother's womb, you have cared for me. And the psalmist says, no wonder I am always praising you. And he puts an exclamation point on it. They use some funny terminology these days to talk about what a baby is or isn't. Have you heard the term, a product of conception? Or the contents of the uterus? Sounds really personal, doesn't it? Huh? Really, really personal. I want to tell you a story about the next line says even the even a, a product of conception has had the oversight of God's care. Listen to this listen to this story I found. For almost three decades, Cal- Calvin College professor Pete and I cannot pronounce his last name. It's like Tigchalar, I think, has had a three-month-old fetus encased in plastic that he used in human biology classes. Now check this out. You ought to go to COSI, the Center of Science and Industry. There's this room in COSI called Life, okay? In Life, they have exactly what this story's talking about. The first time I went in there, I actually realized I got really agitated. I started looking, and they had these every stage, you know, from here on. And they really have this neat, like, where you can, there's like a, like, they've got like this molded thing that shows you how birth takes place. It's really pretty cool. There's a video screen where they, they walk you through some people who are dealing with some um, uh, issues during their pregnancy and how they, they were able to tend to the wife or to the mom and the, and the child and bring them, bring them he, get them here healthily and stuff like that and decisions that were made. And the first time I walked in that room, I saw those little plastic cube things. I was standing there in Kosai trying to be keep it all together as a macho dad would. And I'm watching these little pictures. These little they're not pictures. They're like the real deal. They're 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 real babies. They at every de- stage of development while they're in the and I and I got really I thought my initial inclination, I'm just like the rest of you, I can jump to conclusions sometimes. You know? Where did they get those? And I oh I got yeah. And as I was doing some research reading, I found out that there had been 
according to the literature, there had been mothers who had lost babies at different stages and had willingly donated them. And so for the cause of making sure people knew what was going on in there, which made me feel a lot better. And um, here this professor at Calvin College teaches biology, has this three-month fetus in there. Before one of my classes last year, he writes, a student asked if I still had the three-month fetus encased in plastic that I usually show my students taking biology. I said I did, and she asked if she could see it. I invited her into my office and asked her how she knew about it and why she wanted to see it. The young lady said that I had shown it to her mother, a former student, a generation ago. And though I did not know it at the time, this student was about three months pregnant. This confused and panicked mother told me that she had visited Planned Parenthood and was told about the product of conception and the contents of the uterus that she had, that she had within her. She was advised to have an abortion and had one scheduled for the following morning. After viewing the fetus and seeing the tiny fingers, facial features, eyes, outline of the liver, and many other feature, features and characteristics of humans, she realized she had more within her than a product of conception. She canceled the scheduled abortion, continued with her pregnancy, and eventually gave birth to a beautiful baby girl. And the girl looks up at the professor and goes, I am that girl. The student informed her mother, the, the student informed, informed me, thanks for my life, she said. I assure her that I did not give her life, but simply gave her mother the information to make an informed decision. In this season, and he, he wrote this around Christmas time, in this season when we celebrate the birth of someone who came to give each of us eternal life, I am reminded that unwed Mary would have been the perfect candidate for a similar procedure. Let that sink in for just a second. Unwed Mary would have been a similar candidate for that procedure. I am thankful that her response was, I am the Lord's handmaid. Be it to me as you say. And he says, have a blessed Christmas. And that was written during the exam week, December 2003. See, God's watched over us all from the beginning. Before we were thought of, before we, before we had a chance to to, 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 to utter words or do anything. He knew us. Listen to these words. In this Bible, there's a book called Job. It is the earliest written book of the Bible. It was written before Genesis. It was written before Exodus. It was written before Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and all those things. It was written before them. Uh, Moses came sometime after Job. And Job, in verse, um, 10, verse 9 through 12 of chapter 10, talks about this idea of life. Listen to this. Job 9, 10, Job 10, 9 through 12. Remember that you made me from dust. You will, will you turn me back to dust so soon, he asked. You guided my conception and you formed me in the womb. You clothed me with skin and flesh. You knit my bones and sinews together. You gave me life and showed me your unfailing love. My life was preserved by your care. I found in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a couple commentaries some interesting information, some, some verbiage that I thought I'd share with you. That same book I referred to a minute ago by J.E. Smith called The Wisdom Literature and the Psalms, he talks about Psalm 139, 13 through 16. He says this, God must know David perfectly, for he knit him in the womb of his mother. He praises God because of the wondrous nature of his physical body and mental capacity. He had been fashioned with skill and care, the Bible says, in the lowest parts of the earth, which was the womb, which is so-called because it is dark and mysterious, just as the grave or Sheol. Now listen to these next lines this, this, this gentleman writes. Even when he was in the form of an undeveloped embryo, 
God had his future mapped out in his book of providence. Here is clear expression of belief that, it, that an ideal plan of life has been providentially marked out for every individual. Matthew Henry reads like this, The glory of it here is given to God, entirely to him, for it is he that made us and not we ourselves. I will praise the author of my being. My parents were the only instruments of it. Were only instruments of my being. God was the one who formed and shaped me and created me. He put my DNA together. My parents just happened to be the, the joyous recipients of the tools to make that happen. Does that make sense? And he says this, it was, it was done under the divine inspection. My substance, when, when hid in the womb, nay, when it was yet but small, in the forming and unshapen embryo, it was not hidden from thee, O God. Thy eyes did see my substance. By the divine operation, as the eye of God saw us then, so his hand wrought us. We were his work. According to the divine model, in the book of all my members were written, eternal wisdom formed the plan, and by that almighty power raised the noble structure, he says. So it's not about God saw us as we were being formed. When no man knew what we would be or what we would look like, what kind of character we would have, what kind of personality we would possess, what kind of talents and giftings, God was taking great care and concern to put the correct pieces of the puzzle together. Man, that's amazing thought. And it's been that way from the very beginning. It's been that way. It has been that way. From the beginning, God has taken man and done that with him. Human's life is not like the rest of creation. Human life is not like the rest of creation. God created all of creation with a word from his mouth. God went around in Genesis chapter 1. He said like this, dogs, be. Cows, be. Whales, be. Trees, grow. Light, be. And he just spoke and things happened. He creates great power. He has great power. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He is everywhere all the same. He's amazing. He took, he, all it took was an utterance. But we, we find that he did something a little bit different with this human race thing. He, he did something completely other than that. God intimately created man to resemble himself with the touch of his own hand and the breath of his own mouth. I'm not, let me say this, I'm not against the rest of creation. Okay? Let me just make that perfectly clear. I have hunted on occasion. I have fished on occasion. I don't think you should just take life for the sake of taking life, regardless of what life it is. God created all of it. You understand what I mean? I don't, I don't know. I just, I'll tell you a story about myself, okay, just so everybody knows where I'm coming from. My parents were sitting over here at the, end, at the first service, and they could, they, they could vouch for me on this because some of you are going to think I'm a, I'm a crazy, I'm a weirdo. I've hunted. I've, I've shot a deer before. I'm not very good at hunting or fishing. As a matter of fact, I don't even call myself really a hunter or a fisherman. I just say I do that every now and then because I've, like, I've, I've only, you know, really been successful a few times. And so I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a fisher. I'm not a catcher. I don't catch much. And most of, the, most of the time I spend out in the woods, I spend out praying and doing stuff like that because I'm not seeing much of anything else to do anything else with. Anyway, and I do eat. We do eat what we, what we take in. So it's, you know, the Lord said it's okay in Genesis, so I'm all right with that. Anyhow, um, one day when I was a kid, I was about 14, 15 in high school. We lived in Florida at the time. And in Florida, you guys, have you guys ever been to Florida? 
they got these things that run around like on the sidewalks and up the sides of buildings and and your car and all the kinds of other places, and they're about that long, and they're kind of fun to play with, really. I've played with many of them over my course of my life. Um, you can cause them to loop, break their tails off and different things of that nature. They'll grow back. Don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. Um, but one day, I was in our garage, and we were, I was doing something, and there was a, there was a little baby lizard about that long, about like that. And he was on my bike, and I was trying to get my bike. I, knew, I, know, I know I was about 14 or 15 because I was in high school, but I wasn't quite driving yet, and I was getting my bike out of the garage. And so I thought, you know, I just do like you do when you've got a bug or something around. You know what I mean? You just kind of take that thing and just get him off of there. You know what I mean? Well, I did that. But that lizard didn't, 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 didn't respond. I mean, he responded with that initial flick, but that was the last thing he ever responded to. And he was only about that long. Some of you think I'm crazy, but I thought I didn't mean I did not mean I did not mean to, to do that. And my heart, I, I can't even describe what happened on the inside of me. I my heart went, because oh, it was just a cute little lizard. I did not mean to kill anything. I wasn't trying, I just wanted my bike. And I thought it might be more dangerous to be on my bike than on than 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 on the ground somewhere. And so I just wanted to just get him off of there. You know what I mean? And I killed him. And I cried. A 14 or 15-year-old boy, I cried. I say that to say this. I'm not about just killing stuff for killing stuff. Reasons. Does that make sense? And I think all of God's creation is to be respected and, and used appropriately and all that sort of thing. So just, just hang with me. All right? Are you there? Okay, now I'm thinking, Aaron, you are a weird Oh. But I'm, I'm building a case here. Listen, God created us differently. He created, he created man to resemble himself with the touch of his own hand. And the breath of his own mouth. Genesis one twenty six says this. Then God said, let us make humans in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So in the beginning, as God began to describe how he's going to make man, he's setting us apart as a different level of his creation. A different, we're, we're, on a, we're at a whole other place than the rest of this. We're in the image of God. He planned and mapped that out on purpose. And he didn't even stop there just the speaking of the word. Genesis 2, 7, he says, then the Lord God formed a man of the dust of the ground. Everything else he spoke. But the Bible says he took man. He took like clay. He took inanimate material, began to form and shape man into what he wanted man to be. And the Bible says, then he breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils. And the man became a living soul. That, that is how it's been. God forms and fashions each of us. The same plan he had with Adam of forming and fashioning and being intimately involved in that, he is with every person on this planet. That example has not ceased. It has not changed. He takes great care to give us exactly what we need to be who he ordained for us to be from, the, from before the beginning of the world. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 reads like this. All praise to God, the Apostle, Paul, the Apostle Paul writes, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, even before he made the world,
even before he made the world, God loved us. Wow. That takes a little bit further than just conception, doesn't it? And chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. That is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Wow! Before he formed the world, he loved us. That means before you were a glint in your father's eye, God knew who you were. He made a conscious decision. The Bible said he chose us. Wow. Wow. And then he took great care in forming that person. How do you know that happened? Well, there are examples all over the scripture where God declared what certain people would be and what they would do. And don't you know it really happened? Let's look at a few of them just real quick. And you can look at the references later. I just gave them to you so you can follow along. Let's look at a guy named Isaac. He was ordained to be the bloodline into Christ. And you can read about it in Genesis. There are several passages there. There was a guy named Jacob who was Isaac's son. The same thing is told of him. Are you with me? Are they there? He was ordained to be in the bloodline of Christ. How about this guy named Samson? Before he was born, the Scriptures tell us he was ordained to deliver Israel from the Philistines and serve God as a Nazarite judge. That's exactly what he did. He had some other problems, but he did what God wanted him to do. Samuel was ordained to serve God as a Nazarite as well. You'll find that in 1 Samuel. David was ordained to rule with, rule over Israel, and he talks about that. Now, here's the one that gets me. Cyrus. All of these guys, the first five guys, for the most part, followed God. They had problems. They had issues. They goofed up. They sinned, just like all the rest of us do. But they're in their heart. They were following Jesus. Uh, they are following God. This guy, Cyrus, he's a whole other dude. Because you know what Cyrus is? He's a pagan for all practical purposes. He's the king of Persia. He does not know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He does not worship him. He does not walk with him. He does not know him. He knows, he, he, I mean, he does not even acknowledge God very much. And you know what? In Isaiah, the book, Isaiah chapter 44, God calls him by name and says what he will do. Those are these words. When I say of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, he will certainly do as I say. He will command, rebuild Jerusalem. He will say, restore the temple. Now this is written during the time of Isaiah, which is like just right before and right around the time that the Israelites are taken into, into captivity. So here's the funny thing about it. Probably Cyrus isn't even alive yet. He's not been born yet. And you'll find in Ezra chapter 1, starting in verse 2, it says, this is what King Cyrus of Persia says. Wow. God has even ordained the steps of a pagan unbeliever, and he ends up doing what God says do. You know what this does for me? It gives me all kinds of hope. <sighs> Don't you guys... Watch things that go on in government and around the world and people who are in charge and go, what is going on? Huh? <sighs> you know what? God's still got it. <laughs> what are they thinking? It doesn't matter what they're thinking. It matters what he's thinking. And he will even use the ungodly to accomplish his, his will and his purposes. Man, that gives me hope. 
I can be messed up, but he can still use me. I can even not know him, and he can still get his purposes done. But the fact that I am chasing after him and trying to walk with him means it gives him a whole lot of other access to other great, awesome, blessing-type things in my life. How cool is that? Cyrus just blows me away. man. I've read that, I know, for the last year, like every week I think, and I go, wow, that just trips me out. Wow. There's hope. Even when you think there's no hope, there's hope. There's Josiah, another king that God talked about what he would do. He, would, or he was ordained to destroy the false altar of King Jeroboam, which he did. Jeremiah was ordained to be a prophet to the nations, which he was. John the Baptist was ordained to be Christ's forerunner, and he did that. Paul was ordained to be God's minister to the Gentiles, and he did that. And here's the thing about it. The Bible says God's no respecter of persons, and so he's got a plan for all of us. He's got something for all of us to do. He's got something for all of us to accomplish. He has a plan for every one of us. And you know what? We can talk about these products of conception. We can talk about the contents of a uterus. We can do all that. But listen, the fact of the matter is, even the things we don't understand, God has got, God's got his hands in. I was sent a video this week. I'm going to show it to you right now. That kind of drives the point home. It just amazes me. It, it, oh, my goodness. It just grabs my heart. How that God can use, God formed and fashioned every one of us. It has a great purpose to show his glory forth in the earth through each of us. And every life that's being formed right now, every life, every life. Jason, won't you show us that video? The piece is titled, Claire de Lune, Light of the Moon. In the darkness of his eyes and through the sweetness of his hands, when Patrick Hughes plays, it is the music of possibility and the sound of promise. How would you describe your disabilities? Not disabilities at all, more abilities. Abilities everybody hears and sees at every Louisville football game. To understand how Patrick Hughes and his father became a two-person member of the Cardinal Marching Band, go back to when the music began. Born without eyes and with a tightening of the joints that prevents his limbs from ever straightening, Patrick has been blind and crippled from birth. It's just countless the number of dreams that, that died, and my wife and I were devastated. We just asked, why us? We played by all the rules. We worked hard. We just didn't understand. Kisses for That heartbreak began to fade even before Patrick's first birthday from his first moments at the family's piano in Louisville, Kentucky. You could go up and, and hit a note no matter where it was on the, on the piano, and within a, one or two tries, he would find that exact note. By his second birthday, he was playing requests. Can you play You Are My Sunshine?
I was just ecstatic that, you know, okay, we're not going to play baseball, but we're going to play music together. And that was, that was really exciting. Let's see how far we can run with this. Fitted with artificial eyes and placed in a wheelchair, as Patrick grew, so did his passion and his talent. He played old standards by grade school. And blues numbers by high school. By the time he arrived at the University of Louisville this year, his musical ability on piano as well as trumpet was well known throughout the city. I said, Patrick, you need to be a part of the marching band. <laughs> and their reaction was um, just a little bit of a pause. My dad and I are hearing this and we're like, uh, right. I mean, how in the heck am I supposed to march? The next step was working out what we needed to make happen in order for Patrick to be involved in the marching band, other than just parking on the sidelines and playing his instrument. I said, well, if Dr. Burns that impassioned about it and Patrick wants to do it, then by golly, I'll give it my all as well. So it was decided Patrick would play and Dad would push. As part of the 214-member Louisville Marching Band, a blind and wheelchair-bound trumpet player and his able-bodied father do it all together. From the pre-game drill practice to the march around the stadium to the halftime performance in front of thousands. Dad rolls and rotates his son across the field in mostly perfect formation. He'll sometimes end up pushing me a little quicker than normal, so that pretty much means, hey, must have done something wrong, so he, he's got to hurry up to get me to the right spot. Dip. Spin. In order to be at every band practice... I'm too slow on the spin. ...and to sit beside his son in every class... Question? How do you come up with all the... Patrick's father works the graveyard shift for UPS. How would you describe a work day for your dad? Poor thing. Uh, he goes to work about 11 o'clock at night, Monday through Thursday nights, and then gets in at about 6 and, and goes to bed at about 6 and sleeps till around 11. By the time Patrick moves from his bed into his wheelchair each morning, Dad is ready to begin their day together. He's, he's my hero. I've told him before. Uh, what he goes through, it's taught me that I don't really have any complaints. I guess a father couldn't ask for, for any more than, than the relationship that I have with Patrick. God made me blind and unable to walk big deal he gave me the ability to the musical gifts i have and the great opportunity to meet new people that's your fans buddy maybe when they hear him play they recognize wow you know imagine the possibilities i didn't even consider when i saw this young man that i now know from hearing him play so whether it be on a field playing the louisville fight song or at the piano playing Claire de Lune. In a sense, the melody is the same. Patrick Hughes plays so that we might hear the music of opportunity and the sound of potential. Wow.
seems to me, given the right information or the wrong information, Patrick could have been a candidate for elimination. I heard, I saw another clip on YouTube of him, and he's getting it, receiving an award on ESPN. And they, he's giving good thanks, and you know, the first thing he said was, I want to thank my God for giving me all this opportunity and for creating me to be who I was. And I went, wow. See, this is a guy who's got it right. He's not thinking about what he doesn't have. He's thinking about what he does have. It's about what God has done. There's a passage in Isaiah that says, has God not formed the deaf and the lame? And it goes through this whole list, and it says, the glory of his own name. And I look at Patrick, I go, that doesn't really make sense. I don't necessarily believe God puts those kinds of things on people. But you know what? That guy has got it down, man. He could have been a product for elimination but you know, or, a, or, a, or a, a candidate for elimination. But you know what? Somebody saw some potential in him that said, no way, no way, no way, no way. Maybe God allowed him to be like that because it would put in the minds of people, this abortion thing is crazy. It's nuts. Don't let that happen. Keep that from going on because he could be discarded very easily. In this culture of death that we live in, it'd be very easy for us to go, you know what, he's not worth a whole lot. Maybe he costs too much to take care of or to see to he gets what he needs. Maybe that would happen, but you know what? God had a great purpose for that young man. He, had a, he has, still has a great purpose for that fella. And we would kick him to the curb and we would throw him in a home or do something like that. And God says, no, I got plans for him. Listen, we need to remember we're going through this, that God is a God of life. He is the author of it, the creator of it. He decides. He decides how we're formed and what we're made of and doing different things like that. He is, he is the one who's in charge of it. I can look around this room. This morning in the first room, I had, I had a, a, a young man named Luke Wolf sitting right there, another girl named Eric Allen sitting right there. And both of those kids were born prematurely and were almost given no hope to make it. But you know what? They're both sitting right there this morning. There's another little guy we know was born at 26 weeks named Isaiah Kaiser. He should have been dead. 25 weeks from the, the, the same time that picture was taken, five weeks from that picture was taken, that little hand reaching out of that uterus, and he's alive and well and whole and healthy today. I believe because of the power and the grace of God and the prayers of people. And you know what? All of us, God is no respecter of persons. If he said that about David, if he said that about Paul and Cyrus and Isaac and Jacob, he knows every one of us and has plans and purposes for everyone. You may know some people right now who are facing those kinds of decisions, those kinds of issues, those kinds of problems, and you need to encourage them that, listen, let God be the decider of how it all comes out. You just walk along the path and carry it out. And I get, I get frustrated. His grace and love covers all of our lives from the beginning to the end and all of the junk and the good stuff in between. He has got it all covered, every bit of it. So what do we do now? Let me say this. If you're a person here who's either had an abortion, has thought about it, maybe he's in something right now where you need to do that, listen, life is the option. According to God, life is the option. He has known that child from the beginning. You had choice. You had choice before you made some other decisions. At that point, it's a life in God's eyes. From the very beginning, from Job 
to Genesis, through Psalm, all the way through Ephesians, we've read today that that is God's idea. Are you hearing me? And if you've messed up like that, God's grace covers you in spite of all of that. His grace extends to the very ends of the earth. He meets you where you are. His forgiveness is supreme. His hope for you is great. Maybe you're on the opposite side of that equation. I had a father in here this morning told me after service that his third-born daughter, no, his fourth-born daughter, they had two, had another one. Three months later, his wife found out she was pregnant. They were neither, neither of them were serving Christ. They were not ready for that. Not ready at all. And they were planning to get an abortion. They had the thing scheduled. Had the thing scheduled for the next morning. He was not serving Jesus, okay? Let's talk about Cyrus a little bit, okay? He was not serving Jesus. He goes out that night before that, that scheduled appointment for that abortion. And guess what he does? He and his buddy live it up. He gets drunk out of his mind, spends all of his cash, comes home with a little bit of cash he has left to get his abortion done. It's not enough. His mom, his, his wife's mom looks at, she goes to her, his wife goes to her mom. She says, I need help. We got this abortion schedule. We got to go take care of it. And she said, it seems to me like your husband don't want to go through with that. She refused to give the money. And they had a little girl. And you know what happened? Three months later, mom left. Dad still had the two girls, the two younger born girls. And now he's the grandpa of, I'm thinking, seven or eight grandkids now, I think. I'm trying to keep, I can't keep up. I can't keep track. Happily remarried, serving Christ. And he said, Aaron, even in that drunkenness, God was ordering my steps. He's bawling, sitting right there in the middle of the right here after the service. Sad thing is, he's a little bit estranged from that daughter right now, but he still loves her. And is glad that God gave him an opportunity to have her. So if you have dealt with that or are dealing with that, God loves you, and he wants you to make the right decision. How do you get involved? Listen, pray, 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 pray. We got to get this ship turned around. I had a, a Christian brother tell me a few weeks, about a year ago, we had a conversation, and he said something to the effect of he thought it would probably be okay for an abortion, even in, in the case of rape, because because of the circumstance under which a baby was conceived. Does that mean God makes exceptions? I know life is messy. I know it's messy, but life is life. And here's the thing. we got to have the right God's idea about what, what these things are because life does get messy. We better have it figured out before life gets messy or we won't make the right decisions. There are so many families who want babies. So many families. There's a, there's a family this week I know of who, who, who's gone to Elizabeth's Hope Pregnancy Counseling Center for the express purpose of being hooked up with a family who's got an unplanned pregnancy so they can adopt the child. Got an appointment on Thursday. How cool is that? That's getting involved in the process, man. And they've already got kids of their own. It's not like they're trying to, ha- trying to, trying to, 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 to make up for the fact they don't have kids. They already have kids. So check that out. Get involved. Pray. Vote for people who, are, who have a life idea. Listen. 
listen, we are obligated as citizens of the kingdom of God to, 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 to do things according to God's way. And if, you, if people will compromise on the basis of the very basis of life, where do you else think that's going to end up? Trust me, not in a good place. If they consider those lives not worthy, what happens when it comes down to yours? Well, we're not there yet. Well, we keep sliding down that slope, we'll end up there. I'm just saying. Both of you have a life person. Volunteer ministries that help people with these issues. Think about Elizabeth's Hope. I got to put a number on your sheet and then on the page. You have no excuse. Let me say this. I'm not, God is the author of all life. I am not one of those Christian pastors who would say, dude, we got to take out abortion doctors. No. No, no, no. God is the author and the giver of life. He determines the length of our days. We have no business getting involved in that kind of process. That is not God's way. Jesus told Peter, put, his, put your sword away, buddy. Are you hearing me? But we had better do some things on this side of the equation that we can do. That's pray. That's vote. That's get involved in the lives of other people. That's getting involved and doing the right thing. Be a true friend to people who are in those situations and issues. Don't bring condemnation and guilt and fear on them. Help them walk through it. Help them make the right decision. Most of them know they've already made the wrong one. They need somebody who will walk with them to do the right thing from that point on. Are you hearing me? I'm kind of wound up, aren't I? I told you I get that way. Listen, the tide can turn. The tide can turn. Things can change. Wow. Wow. And we get to be involved in it. How cool is that? Ugh. One of these days, I hope this scourge of abortion is removed from us. I hope it's gone forever. I pray that God will take care of it. I don't know how he will or what he's going to do, but I, I'm telling you, I'm praying that it will be taken care of. You, let's go on the other indication. God is a giver of life. This euthanasia stuff is garbage. God still ordains steps. And the life, I've, I've, I've been around enough people who have been sick to the point of death. Let God determine the time. Let him determine. Don't take matters into your own hand under any circumstance, under any reason. One of the most, two of the most amazing spiritual moments of my life happened at the bedside of loved ones who are going on in God's time. I'll never forget them. Oh, amazing. I, just, I can't even begin to describe what I'm just happened just a few months ago. My grandmother died in May. We were there at the hospital. Man, it was awesome. Singing amazing grace and the sweet presence of the Lord was there. Oh, it was just an amazing, amazing moment in my life. I will never, ever, ever, ever forget it. God is there at the, at the conception. He is there at the end of all of it. Walk it out with him. Let him determine when and where all that happens. Wow. Let's stand and let's pray. Jesus, we give you glory, praise, and thanksgiving. God, we are fearfully and wonderfully made, the Scriptures say. God, each one of us, you knew each one of us before we were born. You knew each one of us before we were conceived in our mother's womb. God, you knew us as we were being fashioned and formed. And God, you caused us to have qualities and traits and personalities, God, that, that you designed for us to have. You ordained a purpose for each of us to walk out. And God, today as we sit here, None of us are accidents. God, none of us are oopses. God, all of us, God, have, a, have your heart, God, beating towards us. God, have your thoughts. God, 
being extended to us, God, having your hands, your nail-scarred hands extended towards us. God, Lord, help us to know your ways and your truth. Lord, give us, God, the ability to be scripturally correct in the face of a, of a, of a nation, a community that's more concerned about political correctness than anything else, God, that only leads to death and destruction. God, let us walk according to your ways, live according to your values, run the race you've set before us, Jesus. God, for some of us here, that thought of adoption is stirring something on the inside of us. Lord, I pray, God, we would get involved in that. We'd give an option of life to somebody who just seems like there is no other options. Lord, I pray, God, for those who've had that, that scourge got upon them where they've just felt guilt and condemnation because they've entertained that thought or carried out the action of abortion or, or, or maybe not able to prevent it for somebody. Lord, I pray, Jesus, you would, you would cause your power and your blessing and your grace as they acknowledge that before you, that, God, you will wipe them clean. You will wipe Wash them and make them whole, Lord God. And Father, that doesn't have to be there anymore. Lord, I pray, Jesus, for those who have people in their lives who are facing those circumstances, that today, Jesus, God, they would be empowered by your Spirit to speak the truth in love, to hug and to, to give actions and, and, and responses to them, God, that will lead them in the right path. Lord Jesus, without you we're nothing. But because of you, Jesus, we have everything, Lord. You are the God of life. You are the creator of it. We give ourselves fresh and new to you this morning. Lord Jesus, if one of you are here today and you've just, you're not even understanding how much God loves you, how he's watched you from the very beginning of life and the time of your conception, even before that, he knew you and he loved you and you want to embrace that, Jesus stands with his arms wide open and he says, come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will show you the goodness of the Lord. I will be faithful and true to you. And he just beckons you to come and acknowledge your great need of him that you are lost without him, that you are sinful and need his help every moment of every day, and he will meet you right there. He'll give you the purpose you've been looking for. He'll give you the, the love you've desired, the acceptance that you need, the forgiveness that removes guilt and condemnation. He will do that. He's known you from, from the beginning of time. You acknowledge him, he'll come close to you. And he'll let you in on his kingdom and his work. Lord, we bless you. I'm going to ask for leaders to come. And if you have any need whatsoever, if you have dealt with these issues, if you've dealt with the guilt of that, the sin that, 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 that goes along with those things, and you want to get that wiped clean, God wants to meet you. If you have other need, maybe you're sick, maybe you're, I don't know, maybe you need financial uh, relief or something like that, man, God wants to meet you where you are.